My name's Jimmy. I'm the youth director here at Redemption North Mountain. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are blue Bibles under your chairs somewhere, maybe not directly under you, but next to you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we want to encourage you to take that Bible home. Um, that Bible is yours, and it's our gift to you. So hopefully you found the passage. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where, they, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily, stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David per persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know that, know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold... I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is God's word. You may be seated.
Sorry. Good morning, North Mountain. It sure helps if you turn it on. It's a blessing to be here this morning. Uh, Josh, thank you. There you are. Uh, thank you for inviting me, and thank you for having me all. Uh, as Josh said, uh, I'm one of the pastors down in Redemption Tucson, um, and I've been there for about two years. Very grateful to be in the state of Arizona. Um, we came from Denver, and I grew up in Africa. And uh, when, I was moving to, when I was moving to Arizona, people said, you know, it's hot there, right? <laughs> said, oh, I got it. I grew up in Africa. <laughs> and then the summer came. Somebody told me I didn't understand. I thought I could handle it. I grew up in Africa. <laughs> they were right. <laughs> we love it in Tucson. Um, it's been a great blessing to my, uh, my family. We have three kids, five-year-old, soon-to-be two-year-old, and a four-month-old. Uh, so sleep is something that um, is around here somewhere. All right, we'll get to it. Uh, my wife is in the back, Annie. Uh, my support. Uh, thank you. Uh, this morning I've been charged to, to share uh, from the Word of God, and uh, I will say that this, uh, this passage really went, when Josh asked me to share, I thought, okay, asked me to preach. I didn't look at the passage until a few weeks ago, and I said, oh, wow, okay, I'm up for it. Um, James chapter 3, verse 1. Um, that verse is a conviction to me and a conviction it should be to every preacher who occupies this space uh, in a service. It says not many of us should, should strive to be teachers or preachers because teachers will be judged more harshly, more strictly. So what I am going to do this morning for the next half hour or so, um, I will be judged for before my Heavenly Father. So the seriousness of that um, and the Holy Spirit and the study, I take very seriously. So would you bow your heads with me and let's pray and enter into it. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you uh, for what you are going to do this morning in the hearts and minds of people seated in this room. And as a result of that, their families. Heavenly Father, I pray that you, you move so mightily this morning and every, and every Sunday morning in most places, oh Lord. Uh, I thank you for where we are in our city, where we are in the state, where we are in the country, and where we are in the world. I thank you for the season of life each person is in. Uh, Lord, would you continue to superintend just our way through life, this journey, uh, from birth to death. I pray you continue to bless us as we hear your word this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. One of my favorite preachers... Um, tells a familiar story. The story of President Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president. In the middle of the Civil War, the country was deeply divided. We're fighting North and South. The President of the United States is Abraham Lincoln. Every day he gets up and he hears of what's happening in the war. Young men are losing their lives. The, the, the battlefield reports are just absolutely brutal. Lincoln, as a president, is as unpopular as he's ever been, or any president, for that matter, has ever been. He's falling into a great depression, his days are discouraging, and his nights are restless. 
horrible reports come from the battlefield, deaths and losses, it seems like the war would never end. One night, on a Wednesday night, during the war, President Lincoln asked his aide, he said, hey, can we go for a walk? Back before presidents could walk the streets without any issues. He takes his aide, and they begin to walk the streets of Washington, D.C. He says, I want to go to a church service, a midweek service. So they went to National Presbyterian Church, he and his aide, and he sat in, snuck into the back, and listened to the sermon. Took his hat off, crossed his legs, closed his eyes, and he listened. After the sermon and the service was over, his aide asked him, so President Lincoln, what did you think of the sermon? It's classic Lincoln, he said, it was well prepared, it was well delivered, it was sincere, it was logical, it was clear. The aide said, but was it good? And Lincoln said, I thought the preacher failed. I thought he failed because he did not ask of us something great. He failed because he did not ask of me something that I could not do without the help of God. This morning, I'm going to ask of you something great, something that you cannot possibly do without the help of God. Before I get going, but it's too quiet in here, by the way, okay? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm a chocolate preacher now. So I like amens. Uh, head nods are great. Taking notes, that's awesome. Amens. I understand. Preach, preacher. That's all acceptable. <laughs> now that we done, we done broke the ice, let's get started. So meet me in verse 1 of our passage, chapter 24. Devices or Bibles. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in, in front of the wild goats' rocks. I'm going to stop right there and kind of hopefully set this scene. David has killed Goliath. Several chapters back, Saul has seen this happen. David has been anointed to be the next king of Israel. Saul is the current king. So Saul has an attitude of a little bit of jealousy, not a little bit, a lot of jealousy, and he's very, very insecure around David. So he wants to kill David. He wants to end David's life so that he, Saul, can continue reigning over the people of Israel. David is in the wilderness with his warriors, and they're hiding in a cave. And David, David's greatest threat is Saul. Saul thinks David is his greatest threat. Saul wants to kill David, and David is hiding. Saul enters the cave. David's in the cave with his warriors. And Saul goes in, the Bible says, to relieve himself. We know what that means. While he's doing that, David creeps up on him and cuts off a piece of his robe. When he had the opportunity to kill him, he had the justification to kill him, and he had the ability to kill him. Verse 3 and 4. And he came by the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were in the cave. Verse 4. And the men of David said to him, Here is a day of which... 
the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Saul's in a vulnerable state. David could kill him, but he doesn't. He's presented with this golden opportunity, right? He's presented with this golden opportunity to kill Saul, and he doesn't. He shows Saul mercy. David is saying, even though you deserve death, I'm not the one to bring it for you. I'm not the one to kill you. And when Saul comes out of the cave, David said, here's the proof, King Saul. I could have killed you. I have a piece of your garment, a piece of Saul's robe that David has. Now, if you're not a biblical theologian, let me help you hopefully unpack this just a little bit with the robe, the significance of David. David is not just showing off by cutting his robe. He's actually sending a message to Saul and everybody else uh, based on how ancient Near Eastern history works. Because in ancient Near Eastern times, they did not have bank accounts or deeds and land and things like that. Many of what a man would have, he carried with him in his robe. So all authority all, whatever he owned, money, um, whatever signed documents, they didn't keep them in different places. They didn't keep, obviously, didn't, that's a cheap pastor joke. Like, people, when people say, they didn't keep it online. Of course they didn't have stuff online. We all know that. Come on, pastor, get better. Right? Get better. I want you to think throughout the Bible. Let me walk you through really quickly. When Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis sinned, and God sends them out of the garden. He gives them robes to indicate, to reaffirm that they are still in charge, right? They still have a status. They're still, they're still heirs. They're still, they're still in authority over the things of the earth. When Jacob gives his son Joseph a robe, he is saying something about what he's doing. He's saying, you're the one that's going to inherit what I have. This is why his older brothers are upset. That's why when they kill him, they take the robe, when they, when they sell him, excuse me, they take the robe and take it back to their father. You understand? Think of Haman in the book of Esther. When there is a plot to kill King Xerxes, and Haman and Mordecai discover this plot, the king asks Haman and says, what should I do with the man who, who found out about this plot that came? He said, well, you should put your robe on him. In other words, he's saying, give him some authority. Give him some inheritance. In chapter 18 of uh, 1 Samuel, Jonathan, who is Saul's son, the rightful next man in line to take over the throne, actually gives up his robe and gives it to David, signifying that David should be the next one in line, not him. Okay, I want you to think of Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. When the prodigal son goes away in the wilderness and he, 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 he loses all his inheritance, when he comes back home, they kill a fattened calf and the father says what? I'll give you my robe. So in that culture, when, you, when your robe meant something, so when David cuts Saul's robe, he's saying, not only could I have had your life, I could have had everything you have. You understand. The last place I want to take you is the woman with the issue of blood in the New Testament. When he, she grasped onto Jesus' hem of his garment, his robe, he sa- she is saying that the power, I need to inherit some of this. I need to be healed. Your power is within your garment. 
You follow me? What David is saying is clear. I could have had you, I could have taken your life, and I could have taken your kingdom. But I won't, because I will wait for the rightful time for God to move. God's mercy that David shows Saul comes through David's connection with the Holy Spirit. David, by the way, could not do what he did in the cave if he did not have God in his life. I need you to hear me real quick. David, a warrior who has killed Goliath and has worked, had every justification to take Saul's life, but he doesn't. His friends in the cave are almost peer pressuring him and say, here is your opportunity, dude. Kill this guy. Because one, we, we want to go home. Right? I'm tired of hiding, tired of being in the, We could end this war right here. And you could have what, we, what, what is rightfully yours, the kingdom, if you do this right here. But David says no. Right? I'm not going to do that. If David does not have the Holy Spirit working in him, he can't do this. By the way, this David character, He's one of the most well-rounded biblical characters that we read about and see. You see him in his, in his true glory and all the things that he does, all his sin, right? But I want you to think of him as a teenager. What is his prayer life like? What is his prayer life like? For a young man to stand before a giant when all the other warriors don't want to go, he has power, right? He's connected to something that no one else is connected to in that way. You understand? When he stepped forward and said, none of you guys want to go? I'll go fight him. He has confidence, right? He, he remembers the lion, the bear. God has delivered him. He has a memory. Can you imagine? When, just imagine if we were all here and somebody was threatening our lives and the person we sent out to go fight that person is a teenager. <laughs> Who are we sending? When I, the generals aren't gone? The soldiers aren't gone? The teenager? That's what we're sending. That teenager must have something. You understand? Must have something. Read the Psalms and see the richness of the relationship between God and David. That's where his power comes from. In 2012, I was sitting in my apartment and um, I got a phone call. I got a phone call from the country that I grew up in. I grew up in Liberia, West Africa. And a phone call came from someone a family member who had been accused of killing my mother. My mother was killed when I was nine years old. So I get the phone call. I went to Liberia in 2010. I get the phone call, and the person on the other end of the line just says, I'm sorry for what happened 20 years ago. Can you forgive me? Can you find it in your heart to help me? Because I need some dental work done. My kids are in school and they need your help. Can you forgive me for what happened 20 years ago? My question to you this morning is how do you respond to injustice? When something happens to you that seems unfair, how do you respond? Saul wants to kill David. He is not justified in killing David. David has the opportunity to exact revenge and end his life, but David doesn't, right? Vengeance is the Lord's, the Bible says. I didn't hear any amens, but I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Vengeance 
is the Lord. David understands God's mercy. I should probably say this right now. We're going to go some places this morning that it's going gonna, it's gonna to get a little deeper. Um, some sermons, I like to say, some sermons get on your, kind of on your street, right? They're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, that wasn't meant for me, but it was good. It wasn't. Some, some of them get on your block. Some of them kind of get in your house, right? This morning, my hope is that I'm not only going to be in your house, but I'm going to be on your couch. I'm going to put my feet on your couch. I'm going to get up in your fridge. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. Sometimes it's going to hurt, but I'm going to challenge you this morning to do something great. Amen? Amen. David understands God's justice. Pick me up in verse 12. David says, May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. Vengeance is the Lord's. David, a warrior, could kill Saul. His men are in the cave asking him to do just that, but he doesn't. David says, I cannot kill Saul because he is God's anointed. Right? I cannot kill him because God sees something in him. I cannot exact revenge or I cannot take a life because God is the only one to do this, that. In October of 2019, a story uh, happened in this country and there was so much noise happening and we, we, we have seen so many of those stories that we forget, right? There was a young man, an African-American man, sitting in his apartment and a police officer, don't get nervous, like I said, I'm going to be at your couch today, it's okay, um, walks in and shoots him on his couch. The police officer was off duty and she thought she was going into her apartment. When she walked into his apartment, she thought it was his apartment, she thought it was her apartment, and he was a burglar. And she kills him. She goes to court, and they find her guilty. And in the sentencing, something incredible happened that I don't think the news did a good job of covering. The young man's name was Botham Jean, who lost his life on the couch that day. His brother sat on the witness stand during the sentence, and here's what he said. I would do his words justice. He says, to the woman who took his brother's life, I hope God, I hope God does good with you. I forgive you. God will forgive you. I love you like anyone else. I want the best for you. He's in tears, and he gets up from the witness stand, and he hugs the woman who took the life of his brother. She took something from him that he could not possibly ever get back. For some people, that was too much. For some people, the sentence wasn't enough but he had the opportunity to express a lot of anger that day, a lot of vengeance that day, but he chose not to. He understood God's mercy and God's justice. God's mercy, God's power, God's plan is something that we should all understand. If you're in here this morning and you're thinking, well, I understand what you're saying, Marcus, but I need to take another step. I need you to walk me down this path. I need to understand God's justice so that I can walk this path. I will say some of us here are not in the position of David. 
who are actually in the position of Saul. Pet peeve. When we read the Bible, we always, sometimes we tend to put ourselves in a shoe of the person who is great, the person who is good, the person who you see the, the hero of the story, if you will, not the villain, right? If you look at the story of David and Goliath, we never put ourselves in the shoes of Goliath. We never put ourselves in the shoes of the people trembling, looking for a champion. We always put ourselves in the shoes of David. When we look in this cave, we never put ourselves in the shoes of the, the, the soldiers who were in there. All this, the, the, the shoes of Saul. We always put ourselves in the shoes of David. But some of us in here are Saul. No amens, that's okay. <laughs> We're in need of forgiveness. Some of us have trouble finding hope in Jesus Christ because of the things that we are doing in our lives or we have done in our lives. Some of the things that we're currently doing that we know run very contrary to what God has for us or what God says to do, we just, we just can't get out. We can't forgive ourselves. Some of us are pursuing someone. You're pursuing something that's hard. You're like Saul. You want to make sure this person feels it for what they did to you. You want to make sure I get them back. I need to get them back. I need to get her back for what she did to me. I need to get that, I don't know, loan officer, whoever it is. Right? I need to sue. Some of you need help in walking the path of forgiveness on the opposite end. Some of you can't let go of something someone has done to you that you think this is unforgivable. Forgiveness to watch somebody who will hurt you, who might hurt you, who has hurt you, and to look upon them and see that they are God's anointed is an unthinkable thing for you. To see it, an image of God in someone who has hurt you is unthinkable. Forgiveness is hard. It's repetitive. It's like, it's like let me say this another way, it's like taking an L. You understand taking an L? You take the loss. Forgiveness feels like you're, you're losing. That person is winning. That person is getting away with it. And in the Western world, I know fairness is like our big thing. It has to be fair, right? We, 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 you don't want to take the L. You want to make sure some of you rub their face in it because they did something to you. Somebody hears me this morning. It's a difficult road to love those who have hurt us. Do you have somebody in mind right now? Do you have a picture of somebody right now? Keep that picture. Forgiveness is active. Right? Forgiveness takes one, they say, and reconciliation takes two. Forgiveness is not indifference. Some of us go the indifferent route. I'm just not going to deal with it. I'm just not going to talk with it. But here's what happens. You create an elephant in the room, and the elephant grows. And it grows, and it grows. And eventually, that starts eating at you. One of the greatest books I ever read on forgiveness is a book called The Sunflower. If you haven't read it, you should. It's 150 pages of the story and 150 pages of reactions. 
is a, is a Nazi soldier who, killed, who somebody saw kill, is in the hospital, and he asked a Jewish man during World War II for forgiveness. I'm telling you right now, it'll make you cry. The elephant in the room of your life that is unforgiveness, that needs to be dealt with before you can move forward, you're not dealing with. I'll tell you a story. My father was the assistant director of the Secret Service of the country of Liberia. Liberia is a very small country in West Africa, about five million people. And my father worked for three presidents. The first two were peaceful transfers. The last one um, was in 1980. An army sergeant named Samuel Doe, my last name is Doe, D-O-E, Samuel Doe, we have the same last name, overthrew the government and killed most of the people in the government, ministers and everybody, and killed them. My father was assistant director of the Secret Service, and he kept my father alive and asked my father to do a job to protect his life. For 10 years, my father did that job for a dictator. In 1990, 10 years into President Samuel Doe's reign, my father is his protector. My father travels with him all over the world, different countries, and... Um, President Doe was not a great, was not a great leader, um, not a great person. I met him on numerous occasions. He always gave me toffees, and I thought he was great, but I didn't know. Right? <laughs> President Doe in 1990 was overthrown. There was a war in my country. And the guy who was taking over the country said anyone with the last name Doe, anyone who worked for the government, who had anything to do with it, who of a certain tribe would be killed. So everyone in my family we're on target to be killed. My father sent us all the way into hiding. Well, he sent me, I was the youngest. He sent me into hiding. And on August 24th, 1990, my father was interrogated, captured, and my father was killed. A year before that, my mother was killed. I was 11 years old, and I was an orphan. I lived in war for a year and a half, eating one meal a day. I escaped the country, my older brother and I, on a little rickety ship, and we went to another country called Ghana, and we lived there for three years as refugees. I had malaria more times than I had hot meals, I always say. Life was rough. When my brother, my brother decided he was gonna go back to Liberia to find, to see if any family members were alive after a few years of living as refugees. He went back, I told him I didn't wanna go back. So I stayed in another country, learned a couple new languages, and existed in that country. When my brother came back, he brought me a letter and on the front of the envelope of the letter was, a, was the handwriting of one of my brothers that I hadn't seen in, in two years. And I opened the letter, and as I read the letter, my countenance just began to change. That's when I found out how my dad was killed, why he was killed. And, and I found out who killed my dad. I was 12 years old when I made the decision that one day I will find the man who killed my dad, and I was going to exact revenge. I, you couldn't catch me going to church as a 12-year-old. You understand? I used to go to church. We would go to Awana groups. And, you know, we would sing the song, Red and Yellow, Black and White. They were precious in the sight. I used to think, what about me? What happened there? Does God still care about me? Right? And there I was at 12 years old. We came to this country, but I had a vow to myself that I was going to find a man who killed my dad one day, and I was going to exact my revenge because I didn't understand God's justice. I didn't understand God's mercy. I didn't understand the image of God in people who can hurt us. 
when Josh told me to preach this sermon <laughs> three weeks ago when I looked at the passage, I said, oh, Lord, joy. Man, you're going to make me go there, huh, Josh? Um, after 20 years of living in the United States, in 2010, I went back to Liberia. to find the man who killed my dad, to find the woman who killed my mom, and tell him that I forgave him. I'm telling you something that's not theoretical to me. You understand? I've walked the road of forgiveness, and I'll let God take his course in vengeance. God doesn't just say we should forgive. He takes it a step further. Am I on your couch yet? Okay. He said you should love your enemies. When David talks to Saul, and he says, I could have killed you. You want to kill me. He's saying something about the image of God in people. I'm going to ask of you something great this morning something you cannot do in your own strength. To forgive people who have hurt you and will continue possibly hurting you, it, you can't do it in your own strength. You cannot. Who's a Saul in your life? The mental picture of the person you had, do you still have that picture? You know what I'm talking about. For some of you in this room, I understand, is an ex-spouse, it's a father who left you. You know the list. I'm speaking to somebody's heart right now. Somebody's hearing me. Let me put up this guardrail. I'm not asking you to go back into abusive situations. That's what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to walk the path of forgiveness. So don't check out. I'm not saying, oh, go endure more abuse from somebody. That's not what I'm saying. What I am trying to tell you is that the freedom that comes from trusting God's justice, God's mercy, is something you have to experience to grow as a person, right? To see the image of God in a person that you may not see the value in, you may not see it. When you sit face to face with a person like that, you say, I don't see it right now. God sees it. God sees you. Somebody just breathed. Amen. Jesus Christ. When we all say, sometimes we say things, because I haven't always been a Christian, so when I hear Christian, Christianese, I, I tend to like, to, I like to parse it out, because people, we, we, if you grew up in a church, no offense, I know when people say that, <laughs> here it comes, right? <laughs> offense is coming. I'm not saying it in that way, right? You grew up in a church, sometimes we say words, but we forget what they mean. When you say, I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior, part of Jesus being your Lord and Savior is understanding that he is just and he is merciful. And if you're trusting him to do that, you have to trust him with everything, right? You have to trust him with everything. If you want to enjoy the fruits of the Spirit of the Lord, you have to trust God and go the extra mile. And and, and, and just do it. Because it, let me tell you this. I'll get to Saul in a minute. Non-Christians, people who don't believe, 
know exactly what we should be doing as Christians. You understand that? They'll tell you. Oh, 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 oh I know y'all ain't supposed to be doing that. You're a Christian? You went to church last week and this is what you're doing? Dude, I'm asking you to forgive me. Are you not going to do it? I know that's something. They know, right? It feels like they read the Bible more than you do. Right? So your, your witness, your testimony is out there. David's stuff is out there. David kills Saul in that cave. The story changes. Amen? Amen. Saul. Let me read verse 16. Here's what David's, <laughs> David's not killing Saul does to Saul. Verse 16. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son, David? He calls him his son. Oh, man. And Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Saul's out here confessing stuff. He's not even, it's not even all to call right now. He's just confessing. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with, well with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord put you, put me into your hands. The only way Saul gets to this point is David's mercy on him. The only way that people in your life can get to the point where they see God even more clearly is because of your witness, your forgiveness, your mercy, and pointing them to God's justice and God's plan. Saul clearly now sees that David is a better man than he is. He's the one that should be in charge of God's people, not him. Right? And that comes clearly because David spares his life when he could have taken his life. I was sitting in a barber shop when I went back to Liberia 2010. I'm on a journey trying to find this man who killed my dad. I'm sitting in a barber shop. And um, I love barber shops, by the way. Um, let's just call it a box, right? It wasn't quite a shop. So I'm sitting in, in this little box with 12, 15 other guys waiting to get their hair cut. And I'm from Liberia, but when I've lived here for 20 years, it feels like I'm not from there. And they know that I'm not from there because my language has changed. I, uh, my, my, my diction, my intonation, my, my accent it all changed. And I was sitting and I'm talking to them. And, and when I get in the chair... You have to pay before you get in. You have to pay before they cut your hair. So I give them 20 U.S. dollars, which 20 U.S. dollars, um, the purchasing power is very different. So when he cuts hair, it's like a, a, a dollar U.S. So if you give him 20, it's almost like 20 times what he would get for one haircut. And this is what I pay here, so I thought I should give him the $20. So I gave him the $20. Well, when I gave it to him, he said, oh, man, he cleared, you know, schedule clarity. I mean, he's taking his time. Every single hair, he's going down. He's making sure, you know, he's powdering, mitting, you know, he's doing everything, right? Everything he's doing. He gets to my beard, and he has a razor, and he's shaving me, and he asks, he said, what's your name? And I said, my name's Marcus Doe. And I say my full name. And he stops with the blade in his hand. He said, what's your name? I said, Marcus Doe. He said, your father owns that house down the street? And I said, yes. He said, we were looking for people like you to kill 20 years ago. He was a child soldier when the war was going on. And most of the guys sitting in the shop that day were former child soldiers. There I was amongst people who would have killed me 20 years earlier. And he said, 
so why did you come back? And I didn't know what to say. I said, you know, I came back for people like you. What I saw in the war, what I saw young kids who were my age, what they were doing to people, how they were killing people, when I look into their eyes now, I used to always think they were such monsters. I could not see the image of God in them because they were so evil when the war was going on. They, I, I used to risk my life every day in the war. When I left the house to go find food and water for us, I would pack my clothes so that if I didn't come back and someone killed me, no one had to clean up after me. So when I walked out and I see those young men killing people for no reason, and, 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 then, and then 20 years later I see them, I realized they weren't the monsters that I thought they were. I realized they were sinners just like I was. You understand? And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, God loves them just as much as he loves me. And, he's, and, there's, and then they start telling you, just like Saul, they start telling you their stories. They start weeping. They start telling you what life is like for them now. And I'm thinking, uh, it feels like I'm taking an L here. I'm just, I'm, I'm being honest with you, right? I, I'm taking an L here because these dudes should be in prison. But here they are, right? I played college soccer, like Josh said. One of the most vivid moments in my life, I got married, graduated high school, graduated college, and my parents are not there. Right? One, of my, one of the most vivid moments in my life that I knew that someone had taken something from me that I could not get back in my life ever again is I'm standing there for the national anthem and it's you know, senior day, you know, the American tradition, right? Yeah. All everybody's coming up, you know, their parents are walking them out on the field and mom and dad are walking out and I walk out and I'm just standing there and I got nobody. And people are wondering why I'm crying doing the national anthem, right? Because someone has taken something from me that I cannot get back. And I go to Liberia and I have the opportunity. I could have slapped them in the face. I could have punched them. I could have do whatever and no one would ever know. No one would ever know. But I'm making the choice to forgive someone who, if the war started, they'd probably kill me again. To walk and see God's plan work out. And it's been more beautiful than I ever imagined. Forgiveness has been more beautiful in my life than I could have ever imagined. Here's why we forgive. We forgive because Christ forgave us. We forgive because when we say we trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, all of him needs to get into all of us. The Bible says, for all have sinned. No one's on the higher level and fallen short of the glory of God. We, have all, we were all once in the, in, the, in the crosshairs of God's wrath. Yet for Jesus, because of Jesus who, satisfy, who satisfies God's wrath, that we can stand in front of God despite what we've done. How crazy of us to stand in the way when God is working through someone else. Because when you don't forgive, when you don't step up to forgive somebody, that person holds on to something. They need to be set free. You understand? If you're sitting here right now and you say, man, I, need, I, I did something and someone needs to, I need to go ask for forgiveness. It sets you free. Both sides benefit. 
You hear what I'm saying? Both sides benefit. Vengeance is not ours. It is the Lord's. When you sit at the feet of Jesus, when you see your own sin, don't be the stumbling block that someone else doesn't need to hold on to, to let go of forgiveness. If you're thinking about it and you say, man, I can't do it, I'm not there, here is my big ask to you. This week, that person, that face you had, I don't know who it is, make that call. Call the person that you need to forgive. Make that call the person you have offended, both sides, and see what God does. Don't go at it in your own strength because you won't do it. Don't wait till you're ready because you won't get there. I'm asking you this morning to go and ask for forgiveness from somebody who has hurt you. I'm asking you to forgive somebody who has just done something to you that is so deeply hurting that you haven't dealt with. You walked in here this morning, you didn't think I was going to slap you on the face like this. You walked in here and you said, man, this dude, I don't know why he's on my couch today, but it's God. This week, don't let this week pass. Now face your head. Make that call and see what happens. God has a plan. Vengeance is his, and he will take care of you. Would you bow your heads? Gracious Lord, Lord, difficult times, difficult situations. Lord, would you walk with us this week, this day, as we seek to find and forgive and to be forgiven? Heavenly Father, we ask for your peace. We ask for your help. We ask for your Holy Spirit for us to see the image of God and people who have hurt us, oh Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who clearly showed, who gave his life so that we may live. Why should we hoard forgiveness? It's an oxymoron, an unforgiven Christian. It's a contradiction. Let us walk in your freedom and forgive. In Jesus' name, amen.